Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. I'm your host, Michelle. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to answer some questions from you guys. Now, this episode, we talked to a tennis fanatic who is highly involved in USTA matches and leagues. So I thought it'd be fun to answer some questions that have to do with USTA tennis and leagues and stuff like that. So if you do have a question that you want answered, reach out to us on email, podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or leave us a voicemail at 805 805- Two seven zero three 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 six. Now the first question comes from at dyland123, and it simply is, what is the best way to find a hitting partner? They live in the Orlando area, so anyone looking for a hitting partner in the Orlando area, let's set you up with dyland. But they are using websites to try to find hitting partners and not being successful. So my answer, call me old fashioned, but I would recommend trying to find a hitting partner at the tennis courts. This could either be at a tournament or it could just be at a local club or some local courts that you often play at. Go see who's there. See if you start seeing the same faces. See if there's someone your level or maybe even better than you that would be interested in hitting. Most tennis players are always looking for someone new to hit with. So I think that would be your best opportunity Also, at a tournament, anyone that beats you or that you're playing against that you've had a good time with or you like the way they hit the ball, that's a great opportunity to befriend someone who might be a little bit better than you and might be interested in hitting. So I think you just kind of have to be in the mindset to make new friends and be open to new people and then see who's out there. So that's my suggestion. Our next question comes from at Cindy Sphinx, and she is a team captain and says, one of my 3-5 singles players lost a match and is getting frustrated. It's the same old story. She has the better strokes, but she misses enough that she loses to defensive players anyway. She asked for my input, and I don't know what I can add. And she goes on to say that she double faults. This player doesn't have a ton of variety, but she's happy to take lessons and learn. My biggest suggestion here is to get her playing more matches. She needs to work on that mental side of her game and she needs to work on performing under pressure. So that might sound a little intense and extreme, but honestly, just keep her positive. Keep her experiencing more matches, different players. And honestly, if you don't have a ton of variety in your game, but you are still taking lessons you're going to want to learn how to add that variety into your game. So I would suggest also talking to her after a loss and maybe asking her what she would like to learn and what she would like to focus on in her next lesson and then have her take that with her to her coach or her pro and be able to start working on those shots. Defense can be a great but hard part of our game to tackle. So really Practicing that, but honestly, practicing under pressure will really help her a lot, I think. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully the season turns around for her and she can start having a little more fun. If it's possible, maybe move her down a little bit lower in the lineup until she gets a little more confidence and a little more experience. 
That's it for this week. If you guys do have any questions that you want featured on one of our episodes, please email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or leave us a voicemail at 805-270-3336. Now let's get into this episode. excited to welcome Fred Schlesinger to Talk Tennis today. Now, how did I meet him? His daughter just so happens to be my favorite comedian. Her name is Eliza Schlesinger, and she won The Last Comic Standing and has a bunch of hilarious Netflix specials, and I'm one of her biggest fans. So I listen to her podcast every week, and about a year ago, I was tuning in to Ask Eliza Anything and heard her father on several episodes And on each one, he started to geek out about the sport of tennis. So I knew I had to connect and chat with him. And here we are today. So welcome, Fred. Uh, Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me on your wonderful Talk Tennis podcast. (laughs) I'm all about tennis. I have adopted tennis as a lifestyle. Yes. A little over 15 years ago. And my wife and I play virtually either every night. And we're on four competitive teams, USTA or uh, local TCD teams. And um, at my club, I'm on the Board of Governors. I run the Men's Tennis Association. And I'm all about tennis. It's one of the legs to my stool. That's amazing. I love it. And Eliza thought that none of her listeners played tennis, but we're here to prove her wrong. <laughs> well, she flew in during the holidays and surprised me because Aww. the holidays and my birthday are concurrent. She just came in right before our party, uh, family party, and flew in and surprised me and said to me, one of the things that I would like to do is hit with you. Um, I brought my sneakers and, of course, we have plenty of rackets. Yeah. And so she's a closet tennis player. She doesn't overly admit it. But um, we hope to get her out more often. And she's got wonderful hand-eye coordination. And um, She's super athletic, so. Yeah, she is. <laughs> cool. Well, let's get a little deeper into your story. How did you start playing tennis? My older brother, uh, and I'm going back when I was 10 years old. Um, last week, I turned 65. So this is Congrats. 55 years ago. Thank you. And very healthy and very active and feel great. And my older brother needed somebody to hit with. So he put a, you know, a racket in my hands in those days, because it was all wood, except for the T2000, which I have a very interesting story about the Wilson T2000 that Jimmy Connors made famous. And so he, uh, he bought me a used Dunlop Fort, which is a racket. Yeah, we're familiar with that. Yeah, McEnroe played with it very successfully for years Mm -hmm. in the 80s and early 90s. And we started to play and we got our dad into it. And I played through my teens. And as I got into college, I was also playing golf. So I threw myself into golf for many years. And it's just 15 years ago that I decided that golf is too time consuming. (laughs) And tennis is the perfect sport for my lifestyle because I was very busy with my practice. I'm a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And you can go out there and, you know, hit for an hour, get a good workout. And, it, you know, it's just much more conducive. And then yeah. got more and more into it to the point now that this summer, my plans are to get certified as a teaching pro. Nice. Uh, I'd like to become a master stringer and have like a little concierge tennis uh, service business on the side for 
so many of my fellow tennis members at the club, I, I've become kind of an authority in their mind with suggesting different strings, different string tensions, different string patterns. And these days, to me, the real difference in the equipment is the strings. Right. You're dialed. (laughs) I mean, I really believe that frame manufacturers are kind of at, at a standstill. There's not much more they could do to improve the playability of a frame. But the strings, which obviously is what makes contact with the ball. Mm-hmm. There are so many breakthroughs, not only in the co-poly, but in the hybrid stringing mm-hmm. and the different properties. And um, I enjoy recommending different strings. I'm always trying different strings and different sneakers or tennis shoes. And I have finally found the ultimate tennis shoe. Okay, which one? Ready? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I better be something I align with. <laughs> Let's yeah, hear it. I- this is a wonderful Italian company that's been around Ooh. for at least... I know where you're going with this. It's at least... They've been around at least 50 years. And they were huge and still are huge in soccer cleats, soccer shoes. Mm-hmm. And what always happens to me, and your listeners could probably concur, is the front toe part wears out in the sole. Yeah. The rest of the shoe looks brand new and the uppers are great. But that front toe where you where you create the friction and, and you pivot off of wears out. Right. I haven't found a shoe that, that doesn't until okay. I discovered the Deodora Blue Shield. That's a good shoe. And I have now been playing with this present pair for six months. I play four to five times a week and there's no sign of wear on the sole. Wow. So I highly recommend that to your listeners. The track here, the adores, the colors are hip. Yeah. The quality is excellent. It's made in Italy. And uh, I love them. And, and I actually went out and bought three more pair because my foot isn't growing. They're on sale and I put them away. <laughs> good, good move because they always change them right when you like them, it seems. Exactly. Planned obsolescence. They try to, just like the frame manufacturers. And so let's stay on equipment for 25 yeah. in the bonus round. I mean, yeah, let's, let's go. So uh, I'm also a racket freak. I'm always trying new rackets. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered is the most important property for me on a racket is the balance. Right. So I found a racket that's extremely headlight. Okay. I want to say it's 10 points headlight. And this is from a racket company that, again, has been around for a long, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary in 2020. It's made in Japan. And if you watch professional tennis, you're seeing more and more people switching to Yonix. Yes. And the quality and the customer service, it's a fantastic company and their rackets are very high quality. So their Yonix Pro 97 is weighted more towards the handle, Mm -hmm. which for me gives me whip. I I hit a very heavy ball, but it's a very late swing on purpose. (laughs) Okay. So I could sit on that ball and then come through it late. And because it's headlight, be able to get through it. And anybody that plays tennis knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. And I string it with Babolat RPM uh, Rough Blast. Okay. Uh, I love that it's six-sided. My my arsenal is very varied. I hit uh, drop shots and um, I hit cuts and slices. And it really accentuates the number of revolutions on the ball. Definitely. It's it's almost cut like a diamond, you know, facet. And it really grabs. 
And so that's what I've been going with. However, about six months ago, I discovered a wonderful string company uh, called Selenko. I was just going to say, have you ever hit with any Selenko strings? And I hit with their uh, Torbite Soft. Okay, yeah. In gray. Mm-hmm. And so I just bought my third Yonix Pro 97 because they closed it out. And so I bought one on sale. So I have three of them and I strung it with the Torbite Soft from Selenko and I love it. Nice. It's very responsive. I get tons of control and still hitting a, my forehand at right around 90 miles an hour. Perfect. That's how I like to hit mine too. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Bring on the heat. Let's go. I gotta come to San Luis Obispo. Definitely. Yeah. I'm quite the opposite of you. I prefer a head heavy racket. So I like all the weight in the head. Yep, to each his own. But yeah. For your listeners that want um late speed is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly recommend the it's either seven or 10 points headlight, that, that Yonix. Yeah, no, that's a great racket. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a thin beam. I think it's 21 uh, versus most of them being 22 and 23. and Yeah, a little more feel. But it's firm enough at the net with the volleys and my ground strokes have never been better. That's awesome. Now, do you play mostly singles or doubles or both? Um, being 65... I have flipped my my playing from mostly singles. When I was in my twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. I played I played at a five O level out of New York. Um, matter of fact, we had a five O league that played at the USTA site where they have the uh, U.S. Open. Nice. Obviously, not during those two weeks. And I can't tell you how exciting it was. This was in the uh, early 80s because I think they moved over there after 79. Okay. Because I go back to when the U.S. Open was at Forest Hills on clay. Mm-hmm. Wow. In the 70s. And I used to watch Vitas Carolitis and Jordan Borg and Johnny Mack and all the greats of the uh, really of the 70s and, and 80s. I think that that was a golden age. Yeah. Not, not that this isn't right now, but. You know, you had characters and my my biggest idol growing up and he started playing in the late 60s was Ilya Nastasi. Mm, nice. <laughs> it was a crazy Romanian. Who, I was going to say a little hothead. <laughs> well, as many of you know, he, he now is suffering from a lifetime ban of professional tennis and not allowed in any tournaments. But but as a pure player and he won a couple of majors, I think he won the French twice and him and his buddy Jan Tiriak won a lot of doubles who Jan Tiriak owns Romanian tennis and, and Simone Halep and all of that. Mm-hmm. But Nastasi was the first true bad boy, and his nickname was Nasty. <laughs> and then, of course, Connors and McEnroe came after him. But as a pure player, kind of like I liken him to Curios, when he wants to play, in his era, he was unbeatable. Yeah. But he was a head case, and one of the stories, true story is, he was playing a match and he was getting frustrated and he was losing. And he literally went back to the back screen, which is below where the seating is, mm-hmm. you know, the back curtain. Yeah. And he just pulled his pants down and mooned the whole crowd. <laughs> just to throw just to throw his opponent off. And he did. And it worked. And he turned it around and won the match. That's crazy. So if you read uh, McEnroe's book, he talks about playing against him and what a, a lunatic he was and what a head case he was. But then as soon as the match is over, he was one of the greatest guys to have dinner with. And they forgot about the match and all the tomfoolery and all the antics that Nastasi pulled off. And then later, certainly Connors and um, 
uh, and McEnroe. And today, your court clowns are Curios and also one of my favorites, Fabio Fanini, who is incredibly, an incredibly talented Italian player. But yeah. he likes the dramatics. And again, when he when his head is on straight, he's unbeatable. He's a tremendous talent. Now, what do you think about Medvedev, Daniel Medvedev? He kind of yeah. keeps showing like this bad boy side, but like he's not fully committed. I don't know. <laughs> so it's interesting you bring up Daniel Medvedev. Uh, I, when I was in uh, New York for the last U.S. Open, mm-hmm. I watched him play in Louis Armstrong Stadium against Dimitriov. Okay. Who is... In the twilight of his career, he's post 35 and, you know, his game is purely slice backhands. And he has mm-hmm. arguably one of the greatest slice backhands that I've ever seen in my 50 some odd years of watching tennis. Right. And Medvedev, that was the match where he was standing on the baseline and he threw his racket at the chair umpire. Yeah. And on the jumbotron, he flipped everybody the bird. <laughs> and... And Dimitrov is such a likable guy, you know, right, yeah. they were booing him. But by the end of the match, and he, he won uh, Medvedev mm-hmm. and he went on to make it into the finals. I think he won over a lot of the crowd because they saw his passion. Yeah. And we happened to be sitting right in, in the player's box, right behind his um, fiance or wife and his coaches. Too funny. Uh, so we, we could hear they're broken English. But I think that Daniel Medvedev is one of the five or six up and comers that will absolutely win a major. He's got all the tools yeah. to win a major and he's in great shape and his game is virtually flawless. So he just needs to get some more uh, majors under his belt, you know, playing. And I think he'll come out victorious. Uh, while we're on that subject, I think uh, Dominic Team is definitely mm-hmm. in that category. Um, I hope he gets that French Open this year. Yeah. And and a couple of other uh, up-and-comers that are so exciting to watch as the torch is being passed from the top four or five to this, you know, they call it next generation or new generation. Right. But I want to get back to Federer. And if, yeah. and if you recall, or if your listeners are old enough, Federer in his first couple of years wasn't the Roger Federer of today. And I have stories about that. I actually, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, California, and he used to come out and train in the LA area. And we would watch him and he'd break rackets. He had the long hair. He was a rebel. Yeah, he had the ponytail and the whole thing. Yeah. And then I think somebody that he respected sat him down and said, you could have a stellar career. You got to clean out some of this junk that you're perpetrating on the um, on the fans. And just focus into playing tennis. I, I think he was blessed to be having such a great coach early on in his career through Paul Anacone. Mm-hmm. And I also think probably his biggest influence was his father. A hundred percent. Who was just a wonderful man and, mm-hmm. you know, just conservative and always had his head on straight and was able to speak to him. Yeah. Not, not only as his son, but to speak to him as his confidant and maybe psychological coach. Yeah, for sure. It gives you hope for some of those players out there. We all are tuning in for this curious, whatever he ends up doing on the court, off the court. We're all watching and waiting to see what happens. But he's actually an amazing person, a really nice guy off the court. So it's really frustrating when he kind of has his antics on the court. But we'll see. We'll see how what happens as he matures. I think you have uh, a few of his countrymen that are in that five or six up and comers. 
I love, now I don't know how old he is. You, you'd be able to tell me. Mm-hmm. I love uh, John Millman. Oh, he's awesome. He's on the older side. He might be in his late 20s, early 30s. Okay. But I think that he has the possibility of winning a major. Yeah. Or, you know, a tournament like Miami or Indian Wells, which mm-hmm. technically isn't a major, but it's a thousand point tournament. Right. Um, and then you got a couple of up and coming Canadians that are sensational. Um, I think that Raunick is, I, I, I hate to say it, I think his best years are behind him because he's so injury prone. Yeah. Tremendous talent. But I, I think that he peaked and I don't think that he, he has the ability because of his physical issues to win a, a five set major. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. When he first came on the scene, I really loved him and was hoping he we would see him win a major and it just hasn't happened. And he keeps getting injured. So it's it's tough. We have some great Americans coming up the ranks. Yeah, really more so on the women's side than the men's side. Right. My business partner's daughter is just turned 15. She's winning. You're going to you're going to hear about her very shortly. She's winning national tournaments. She's ranked 10th in Texas, which is where I live. Nice. And she's ranked in the top 50 in the under 16s nationally. Nice. And um, I think within the next two years, she's going to emerge. But there's uh, obviously Coco Golf at 15 is, you know, (laughs) unbelievable. We actually saw her play her match against Babos. Oh, no way. And and Babos is a really solid player. Mm -hmm. Coco Golf. Uh, took her apart. Wow. So for for a, a kid at 15 to be so poised and so in control physically and mentally yeah. is just a testament to her parents. Her dad coaches her yeah. and her upbringing. And, you know, we all like to think that she's over the next 10 years has the ability of winning five, 10 majors. But uh, there's some other uh, very strong up and comers in women's, not as many in in American men. I I don't see anybody really. It's interesting on the men's side right now. I feel like we've got a lot of the guys kind of right there. They could break in, they could break through, but they haven't yet. So hopefully. (laughs) I think we're, unfortunately, I think we're looking at another generation of of a Jack Sock, a Stevie Johnson, an Isner, you know, that are great players. No, don't get me wrong. Right. But Ultimately, they're top 20, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're top five, and I, and I don't see them as being, you know, major material, unless you disagree if you see somebody who's coming up in the ranks. No, I mean, I'd like to claim the Canadians. We've got Chapeau and Felix Azur Alassim. Those guys are yeah. both quite young and look to be ready to go. They look like Americans, but they're, yeah. still, they're still aliens. Right. Another planet, unfortunately, but we like to say they're North Americans. Right. North Americans, for sure. Yeah. If it was a great Mexican player, we would adopt him too as a North American. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm trying to think of the, I mean, like I said, a handful of men's American players that are great players and they're in there, but it's just none of them are making it to the second week of a major tournament. So I agree. But the women, I'm excited about them. So Coco leads the way with her. Oh, she's doing awesome. And Katie McNally. They're playing doubles again. So they were just in um, in Dallas during the holidays. Oh, cool. Doing a fundraiser. And I'll tell you who else was there was uh, Jim Courier. Nice. They played a men's exhibition match, like a you know pro set. And, they, they, yeah. and the women played an exhibition match. And then they played a mixed doubles match. And this was at SMU 
for those of you that aren't familiar, SMU is a wonderful private college in Dallas, and they just built this world-class tennis facility with, uh, I think, six or eight indoor courts, state-of-the-art, and a whole outdoor facility. And uh, I play tournaments there, and it's just so wonderful that somebody has decided that tennis is going to be a sport of the future for this college. And they're producing some great tennis players all of a sudden SMU because of these facilities and they're drawing, you know, high school kids that are getting scholarships to SMU. Nice. But my point is to watch Coco play against McNally. She crushed her. (laughs) McNally didn't have the firepower. And then to watch Courier and Roddick, you know, as quote unquote seniors playing, they still have it. And he still, he dialed it up to 126 miles an hour, his serve. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, what a lot of people don't know about Jim Curry is how he's embedded himself in tennis from a business standpoint. And a lot of what you see on TV, his production company Inside Out is producing. And if you go back, that's the stroke that made him famous. He had that Inside Out forehand, mm-hmm. which is why he named his production company Inside Out. And so knowledgeable. and you know, he's a Davis Cup captain, mm-hmm. but I love listening to him as a commentator. Yeah. As I love listening to Johnny Mack as a commentator, because he adds so much um, experience and color, of course. And I think that him and his brother, Patrick, are like the perfect combination. You know, the, yeah. yin, the yin and yang of commentary. Yeah. And they don't sugarcoat it. If they're legit. Like they're on it. If you're doing something wrong, they're going to speak it. <laughs> yeah, particularly Johnny. He'll call you out on it. And yeah. so will Perry. Um, yeah. And I really enjoy it. I enjoy Mary Carrillo as well. I used to enjoy uh, Gimmel Stop until he. But, but I have a funny feeling Justin's going to be back. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> He's going to apologize and go through whatever in the machinations of uh, getting back and everybody. But very likable guy, very bright, um, yeah. very knowledgeable. And, you know, he was at the top of his game for many years. Mm-hmm. So a lot to bring. And clearly Ken Solomon has done a phenomenal job with uh, Tennis Channel. And, you know, we we eat, sleep and breathe the Tennis Channel. We watch it so much. And um, so one of the things I actually sent an email to uh, Ken Solomon and uh, Steve Weissman. Mm-hmm. And why I sent it to Steve Weissman is a little known fact that will probably kill me for it. But he dated Eliza for a period of time. <laughs> That's awesome. He was just on the outskirts of becoming part of our family. And whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason, it didn't work out. He's a wonderful young man. And we spent some quality time at the, uh, at the U.S. Open together. We sat and watched the match together. And he's now seeing somebody and very happy and in love and a wonderful guy. But uh, I talked to him about coming up with segments that are dedicated to the country club players. So not the recreational player who plays once every few months. I'm talking about a country club player that's playing in leagues, doing drills and, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to improve their game. And I would love to see more commentary where they take a shot that somebody made and they rewind it and talk to the audience that are club members, mm-hmm. let's say they're, you know, 30 to 50, whatever, as an age group, and uh, for them to learn how to hit other shots, like an yeah. inside-out forehand, or or like a drop shot when they see a professional hitting it, because these are shots that are important to have in your arsenal, right. but I, I don't think that the typical country club player learns them. 
No, I think that's a great idea. And I know even from Tennis Warehouse's viewpoint, we're working on getting more content like that as well. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of that, I, I love Tennis Warehouse's program where as a captain of a team, they give mm-hmm. us a discount for a limited period of time. Yeah. And they give a whole team. That, that's something that when you look at the big three internet uh, tennis providers, they stand out, Tennis Warehouse. And one of the reasons is because they identify the teams for an important part of their market. And I think they gave us 20% off for 60 days. Yeah. And our whole team goes in and loads up on merchandise and brilliant. The Tennis Warehouse identifies us as a market. And I'm a, I'm a big supporter. I easily drop five $6,000 a year on with tennis warehouse. That's awesome. We appreciate that. <laughs> but yes, we know that the teams are a huge part of our business and a huge part of the industry. And maybe I can ask you that question. It kind of came up earlier, but what do you think the state of tennis is in? Are we growing as a sport? Are we continuing to get more players, get players back that have left the sport? What do you think? I think that because of how easy it is, not easy as a sport to play, but it's relatively easy to pick up at any level. Mm-hmm. And it's inexpensive. I mean, you basically need a racket, balls, and some form of a court. Yeah. And there's so much free tennis out there, public tennis. Yeah. High quality public tennis. Um, and so when you look at that compared to golf, which is extremely time consuming and the most difficult sport to be good at. Just ask Michael Jordan. He'll tell you. <laughs> uh, that's one of his famous quotes. The golf is the most difficult sport for him to have mastered. I think he's a seven handicap or six. <laughs> um, and so for those reasons, I think that you're going to continue to see millennials gravitating towards tennis and bringing their kids into it. You know, we had a, a really a, a lull and a, and a decline in late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I believe strongly that tennis is um, on the upswing. And it was never more evident to me than when the USTA went out and built that world-class facility in Orlando. Yeah. And for those of you that love tennis and have not visited yet, I urge you, I've been there twice. They have 99 courts and they cover all three surfaces. And if you're into tennis, I mean, it's like the Home Depot for tennis players. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a handyman. Yeah, I've actually not been out there. So tell me more. I've seen pictures and I know a lot of people that work out there, but it's, it sounds like Disneyland to me. <laughs> I was there for, an, you know, as a financial advisor, I, I go to a lot of conferences. I was there for an investment conference. Okay. I booked an extra day and I played uh on on a few different surfaces and the usta has really done it right and the reason they did it is so they could groom these talented up-and-coming young uh teenagers Mm -hmm. to become professional and they've employed many of the iconic uh, tennis stars that we grew up with to be coaches. That's what I was going to say too it's really cool right now to see all these former players that are coaching the up-and-comers yeah, it's their way of giving back to the sport. Yeah. And you look at it at a Chrissy Everett and a um, Navratilova, who is by all accounts American today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I believe she has. She's an American citizen. I may, I may be wrong, but I think she is. I think she is. And on the men's side, you have a lot of these uh, great players from the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. dedicating themselves to helping grow American tennis to be once again competitive. It's 
it's uh, not right that we have only had one American male in the top 10 over the last, I don't know how many years. Yeah. Is it? And obviously we've had Serena up there for many, many years, but let's face it, it's taken her how long to win, to win a tournament? The one she just won was... Two years, I think. Yeah, and plus she was out with having the baby and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we need some new blood that's waiting in the wings to replace her as, you know, time gets the better of all of us. Yeah, definitely. You really have to tip your hat to her sister, who is a few years older and is still yeah. competitive right. with her challenges. She was in Dallas. Uh, we used to have a store that was the only tennis specialty store in Dallas <laughs> called Love Tennis. And she came because she was launching her new line, uh, new line 11 clothing. Right. And I spent, and she wasn't feeling well at this trunk show. And I sat with her and I got her tea and we got into a conversation. And she's just, you know, she's like, to me, the Derek Jeter of tennis. She's just the classiest person yeah. I've ever met in sports as, as is a Derek Jeter. And as Federer has become, I mean, nobody has more class than him. And I'll throw Nadal in. I mean, he's top shelf. He's just a gentleman. And a wonderful guy. And I think the sport continues to need more of that. But I also think the sport needs some gritty players that are mm-hmm. unorthodox in their behavior to keep the sport interesting. Yeah. So to answer your original question, I really believe tennis is on the rise because you'd have to check with the manufacturers to see if their sales are increasing. But I don't know if that's necessarily an indication. But I think the sport is being embraced by more and more younger people. So I mm-hmm. think we're looking at a very bright future of tennis throughout the world. I mean, it's a world sport. Yeah, definitely global. Just look at this new tournament, uh, the ATP Cup, where it was kind of like a, uh, almost a Davis Cup or a, a format or mm-hmm. a Ryder Cup format, if you will, in golf. Mm-hmm. And the amazing interest that has been spawned on by the Labor Cup. And yeah, the Boston um, event, I think it's in September, is almost sold out. So this is their third year of Labor Cup. And where could you see the greatest players compete? And this is important. To win that cup is prestigious. And yeah. it's not just an exhibition match. They're putting 100% into these uh, Labor Cup matches. It's just so exciting to see. Yeah, it's really cool. All of a sudden, we're seeing a lot more team-oriented things. And these players, Curios specifically, I know, do really well in team formats. And that's kind of where they start to shine. So it's kind of something that I'm hoping to see more of, for sure. I know Labor Cup and ATP Cup have been awesome to watch. And you go back to the original team format, which is 42 years ago, started by Billie Jean King. And she and a few investors started World Team Tennis Right, 42 years ago. And although the league, it's the oldest sports league, I think, that exists. Wow. And, uh, team sports. And today, there's only a handful of teams left. We we brought a franchise to Dallas, and it wasn't successful. A lot of it was because of the weather. Mm-hmm. But I think there's six or eight teams going into the 2020, and they haven't. They only play for one month. Those of you right. that aren't familiar with World Team Tennis, they play in the month of July. So they try to get in about eight or 10 matches and then there's playoffs and, a, and an eventual champion uh, crown. But I think you still have the uh, Washington Castles and mm-hmm. there's the San Diego team that play at a Lacoste. Yeah. And uh, I think the Bryant brothers had a team and Andy Roddick had a team in Austin. I think there's six or eight left and a few new teams. But 
if you if you want to do something, have some fun, it's pure entertainment to go to a World Team Tennis event if it's in your city and you're going to be there. And we went to one in San Diego when uh, I think the team's called the Aviators. Mm-hmm. They play out of um, the Omni Lacoste Tennis Complex. And um, it was just, uh, just wonderful. And um, Drysdale, the famous Australian player, he's the head pro there for the oh. Emirates. And the night we were there, none other than Rocket Rob Laver was the, in the stands. And just to be able to chat with him for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, and Cliff Drysdale, and I got to meet his new wife, and he's been through some terrible personal issues. And then I see them again because we go down to John Newcomb's tennis ranch in New Braunfels. Nice. And we listen to John Newcomb, and he brings his buddies in. And, you know, these guys are iconic. I mean, John Newcomb was of his era, one of the top five greatest players and won everything there was to win. Yeah. And he's in his seventies and he's still out there playing. That's amazing. I love it. It's a lifetime sport. It is. It's a sport for life. And I got four kids, Eliza being the oldest at 36. I have a 34 year old son and a 23 year old son and a 22 year old daughter. And they all play tennis and they love it whenever they come and visit. And um, it's exciting. Yeah. It sounds like you've been all over the country watching tennis and just experiencing life, which is amazing. What is on your bucket list of tournaments to go watch? Okay, so I got my tickets for Indian Wells in March. Um, I'll see you there. (laughs) We we are having lunch or dinner. You're joining me as my guest. 100%. I'm I'm taking two other couples from my club. They've never been to a you know, professional tournament. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, actually, I think about one couple I took up two years ago to the U.S. Open, and they said, here's my credit card. You book everything. And we <laughs> went to Broadway shows and had phenomenal dinners in Manhattan, and we stayed in Manhattan. So this couple wants to go again, and then the other couple overheard us talking over dinner, and they said, we're in. Nice. So um, the most difficult thing to do if you're going to Indian Wells is to get a hotel room. Yes. You better have booked six months ago. <laughs> yeah. And and I was able to get uh, a wonderful room within a mile of the Indian Wells Garden. Uh, airfare is not difficult to get. And um, so we have our tickets for the, we go the first week of a major of a two week tournament. Yeah. Because we like to see a lot of tennis and walk around. Exactly. Um, this past year, we went to the U.S. Open. It's probably my eighth year in a row going to the U.S. Open. Okay. And if any of your uh, listeners want some inside tips, they could uh, reach out to me on Instagram. It's NY New York Fred, the number four, the letter U, New York Fred for you. And I've given a lot of inside tips to a lot of uh, tennis fans for the U.S. Open. Being a born and bred New Yorker, I got great restaurants and um, just riding the subway yeah. every day at the U.S. Open and getting the real grit and feel for what New York is is exciting. And then the new Louis Armstrong Stadium is a must attend. Okay. It is. Uh, I mean, I go and I don't even go to Arthur Ashe. It's just so big. Yeah. Uh, and you can get better quality seats at the Armstrong. We, we sat in row J. I always, well, here's a tip when you do go to sit on the corner. Yeah. I don't sit on the net because you'll find in about an hour, your neck is killing you. <laughs> yes. 10, 15 rows up on the corner. I find it to be the best angle. So I, I would agree. We have Indian Wells. We'll probably go back to the U.S. Open, but my real bucket list to answer your question mm-hmm. is the Australian Open. I know. Me too. 
<laughs> I've not been. The owner of Tennis Warehouse just left yesterday and I'm like, I, I gotta oh. go in here. And he couldn't pack you in one of his bags? I was hoping, but you know. <laughs> um, so that's on my short bucket list. My longer bucket list would be Wimbledon. Uh, but with Australia, you got to give it two weeks because it takes so long to get there. Not right. as much for you, but living in Dallas, it takes longer. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, Eliza and I were talking about doing it as a as a trip, just the two of us. It's supposed to be amazing. She performs in, in Australia twice a year, and she has a huge fan base, and they said, you know, yeah. if you come, we'll take care of you, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I'd say those two. And then on a distant part of my bucket list beyond Wimbledon would be Monte Carlo. Everyone, right? It looks so beautiful. It is. I've been to Monte Carlo on business because I used to do a lot of business in Italy yeah. for 27 years in my previous career. And Monte Carlo is surreal. It's magical. It looks like it. Yeah. That's on my bucket list. <laughs> when you watch the sun setting, on the, on the bay there, uh, it's spectacular. And obviously the food is amazing. So the Indian Wells is a first-class experience. And uh, yes. Larry, is it is it Edelson? Larry Edelson, yeah. Edelson, excuse me, uh, bought, bought the rights to the tournament years ago. And he is a passionate tennis lover. And every year he does some form of an upgrade. Yeah. And a few years ago, he upgraded the quality of the food. There's a world-class uh, restaurants there. Yeah. I think we built a new stadium this year, Stadium 3. Yeah. And um, we need more of these successful businessmen that uh, love tennis to uh, endorse it and uh, fund it and sponsor it. And more and more companies are advertising on the Tennis Channel and advertising at the events because it's an upscale, affluent market. And if your company aligns with that as a market, there's no better place to advertise than at a tennis tournament or on Tennis Channel. Yeah, totally. Uh, that tournament almost got sent to China. Wow. And then Larry Ellison came in, luckily, last minute, bought it and has now done amazing things. Not on my watch, he said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not on my watch. <laughs> and it's been dubbed the fifth major. Yeah. And I love that it's back to back to the Miami. Uh, I think they call it the Sunshine Swing or something. Yeah. And I have to Miami. But I haven't either. Maybe someday. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Miami, so very congested and I don't know. You know, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. I hope you get to Monte Carlo. I hope I get to Monte Carlo and then you can give us all your tips and insider secrets on that tournament because it looks amazing. Yeah, it really does. Who's your favorite player at the moment? Um I have to say that I love watching Fabio Fanini. Okay. You know, he's probably top. <laughs> what, 12, maybe not top 10, but he's so yeah. explosive. And again, like I mentioned earlier, when, when his head is on straight, I love watching him. I love watching uh, Sablanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is definitely an up-and-comer. She's a, a court beast. Yeah. And she's t- I watched her last night play in uh, one of the Australian uh, tune-up tournaments. Mm-hmm. And and she crushed, I think it was Halep last night. Dang, yeah. She's strong. I want to say it was like 6-3-6-1 or something wow. like that. Yeah. And Halep is still, you know, in the prime of her game. Of course, Coco Goff is just so fun and exciting to watch yeah. as a parent. <laughs> I see her as a kid, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and these younger up-and-coming players, these Two kids from Australia. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I really enjoy John Millman, but I enjoy him because he's so disciplined. 
Yeah. And um, it's exciting to watch him play. I'm trying to think of, a, of an American player that I really like watching. I find that Aquarian and Isner is kind of... You can say it. Very vanilla. <laughs> and, and I wanted, I really wanted to like Jack Sock, but I just... I just don't like the way he treats the ball boys. I don't like the, I don't like that goofy scraggly beard. And he's also injury prone. You know, he's not anywhere close to achieving what he should have achieved by now. Yeah. Well, you've got the Brian brothers on their retirement year. So yeah, we got them. And I loved uh, when, when I did go to see them play at the uh, world team tennis event in Dallas and Dallas also has an RBC challenger at, uh, at a wonderful facility called T-Bar-M, which is the premier facility for tennis in Dallas. And they're actually going to be celebrating their 50th anniversary T-Bar-M in Dallas. And the owner, Glenn, has brought this RBC challenger match. And every year he gets a couple of top players, like he's had a Jack Sock and a Kyrgios and a few other top players who go there as a kind of a tune-up match uh, right before the next event in mid-February. Nice. Uh, but that's what we have. And it's a shame Dallas is such a wonderful city. And that's yeah. our only pro event. We used to have a women's event in Grapevine. And I think that that's kind of uh, disbanded. But I, I think we're going to just see more and more tournaments reaching out to more and more people nationally. And um, I'm very excited about the next 10, 15 years of tennis. Yeah, me too. I would 100% agree. It's going to be, I think if we're on and up, it sounds like people are getting more excited. And this age of social media is helping the sport grow and stories are going viral. So it's a good time. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Social media is bringing a human element to these tennis players that in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, you saw them play and they did a post-match interview, but social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, you know, you're seeing that there's a whole other side to them, that they're human and they're fun and they got a sense of humor and things like that. And uh, But getting back to your other question, I do enjoy watching Medvedev. I think he's a very exciting player, aside from some of his antics. Yeah. And um, there's, like I said, a couple of other ones that I, I love a tennis player with a big serve. I'm a sucker for uh, whether it's a, a man or a woman and, uh, you know, hitting a serve at a, at a buck 20 and, and being able to use it as an easy point and right. work their way out of uh, deficits. And, um, you know, I talk with my director of tennis at Canyon Creek in Richardson all the time. His name is Rob Vanderschantz. He's a wonderful guy. He's been a tennis director for almost 20 years. Now, we talk about tennis from a philosophical standpoint. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is most points, even up to the pro level, are decided within four strokes. Yeah. So if you were to think about your serve and return a serve as two strokes, then maybe there's two other strokes. But yet we as, let's say, call us country club players, you know, mm-hmm. sophisticated recreational players, yeah. upper intermediate players, whatever. We don't spend enough time practicing our serve right. and certainly our return a serve. I know. And yet it's 50% of a point. We spend our time on ground strokes. And maybe volleying. But to me, a much more important aspect of the game is that serve and return a serve because your serve is the really the only stroke you could create and control because all the other strokes are balls that are hit from your opponent. Yeah. And you don't need anyone to practice your serve. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we talk about that and 
there's not a week that goes by that I don't go out with a bucket of balls and hit three to 500 serves. There you go. Um, they don't take that long. You know, you could hit that in an hour or so and work on different things. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm working on controlling all three spots in each box. Nice. So it's basically six spots yeah. between the two boxes. And um, I haven't mastered spots five and six yet, but I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> There's always, that's the other thing about tennis. There's always something to work on. But um, I've just recently gone through um, a real uh, physical change in my life and had discovered through a series of tests that I had gallstones in my bile duct. Oh, no. And didn't know for a while what it was until the tests were conclusive that there wasn't cancer, that it was these stupid gallstones that accumulated over the years. Mm-hmm. And when it was diagnosed that that's what it was, I immediately changed my daily intake of food. Okay. In the past 12 weeks, I've lost 25 pounds. Dang. So I'm down from 225 to 200. My goal is 190 and stay there. That's awesome. And my my new diet that I've created, it's not a diet, but my new nutritional plan is highly sustainable. And um, it's very simple and um, easy to follow. And it's sustainable. Nice. So the real benefit I've gotten out of it, obviously, other than getting rid of these hideous gallstones, mm-hmm. is my movement on the court is dramatically improved. So I'm not carrying around my knees and my heart isn't carrying around these extra 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I hit the balls that I never got to. Um, That's amazing. You know, even a few months ago. And it's really improved my footwork, which as one of my dear friends said, that every great shot starts from the ground up. And when I go to play somebody in a, in a competitive match, the first thing I look at is their footwork. Yeah. And you know, a lot of gr- a lot of players could be great if the ball's hitting their wheelhouse, they don't have to move, particularly as you get older. Yeah. But if a player that's aggressive and moves to the ball using quality footwork that produces a better shot because he's taking time away from his opponents. And that's, to me, the whole secret of tennis is taking that precious time away for your opponent to set up. Totally. Now, what advice would you give to someone that has maybe left the sport and is older and, you know, maybe they're considering coming back into tennis, but they aren't sure, or maybe if they're not at the top of their health, but how would you get them back into shape, get them back into the sport? What would you suggest? I I would need to understand the reason why they left tennis in the first place. Yeah. And be able to give them many reasons to return. And to me, tennis has tremendous rewards physically, psychologically, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk to a lot of nutritionists and a a lot of sports fitness people, and they all tell me tennis is the best sport. If you really want to get back into shape, it's right up there with, let's say, swimming. But swimming is kind of a semi-stationary sport. Tennis, you're moving your small muscles, your big muscles, and it's fun. It's just so much fun to hit a great shot, to hit a winner, to hit a ball that you've envisioned in your head a few seconds before. And I liken that to golf. Golf, you have the time because the ball is stationary. Yeah. Tennis, the ball is always moving. So in golf, you could step behind the ball and envision your tee shot, your drive, and then execute it. There's a lot of satisfaction. Don't get me wrong. Golf is a great (laughs) sport. But tennis is great because you can play at any level. It kind of has a similar handicap system. So if you're getting back into it, you play at a 3-0 level. Work your way up to three, five, and four zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the advent of the new UTR system 
has been a boon to tennis because for years we've only adhered to the USTA algorithm, which, as many of you know, or it's no, it's a mystery. Nobody knows whether they're bumped up or get bumped down. Yeah. And I think the UTR system is a fairer system. It's more real time. If you were to compare it to a GPS, it's more real time because they're rating you on virtually every match. Mm-hmm. So it's more, um, more realistic. Yeah. And um, I think the, I think the USTA leagues are going through a, a big metamorphosis and they need to uh, get with the program of contemporary tennis or they, they're losing a lot of. Uh, members who only sign up to play in the leagues, right? Pay thirty-three dollars, so they need to update that as they've updated that facility in Orlando and look at tennis ratings a little differently. Yeah, for sure. I don't know where you, you know, where you live if you have these rebel leagues, but we have a league called Tennis Competitors of Dallas (TCD), and that league is not based on USTA ratings at all, and they have different flights. And they basically have taken away all of the mixed doubles in Dallas from USTA. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, USTA no longer has mixed doubles leagues. They do these mixed doubles. They call it mixing up weekends. Okay. Because they've lost many of that market, that mixed doubles market, which is so important. Yeah. To play with your spouse or girlfriend and yeah, I was going to say, I know a lot of people like to play with their significant others. And it's kind of cool because I know some people want to actually play with them and some people don't want to be paired with them. But like stuff like that, you can both go out there, you can find a different partner or you can play together kind of thing. And yeah, it's super fun. We call it mixed martial married double. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if you're going to say things to your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband, on the court that you wouldn't say to another partner. Yeah. And you're going to express it. And I mean, I see the way I behave, but <laughs> it's taken my wife and I 10 years to get to the point where we're playing competitively and we're having fun. The years we took two separate cars to the matches, yeah. <laughs> that car ride home was ugly. I, 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 do want, I do want to throw in a little plug for a company that started a few years ago. Yeah. It's a fantastic job. It's called Racket Wars. Okay. And they started women's tournaments and just in the last two years started mixed doubles tournaments. We've gone to three of them. And if you love tennis, if you're a woman, you put together a team and they do all the organization. It's all at upscale resorts. Cool. Like last December, we did one at the Omni Rancho Mirage in Palm Springs. Nice. Uh, in 2020, they have one at the Omni in San Diego. Um, next weekend, we'll be at their tournament at the Phoenician in Scottsdale. Cool. And that's going to be um, my wife and myself. Our birthday is a few weeks apart. and We're both turning the same age. Nice. We're both getting our Medicare cards. So <laughs> our present to each other is we're going to spend a long weekend at the Phoenician playing in these tournaments that are a waterfall format. They're very fair. And at night you meet other couples that love tennis as a lifestyle. We're bringing another couple with us and we're just going to have a fantastic time. So I think that a company like Racket Wars saw a market for passionate tennis players, female tennis players and mixed doubles teams. Yeah. And they just keep adding more and more uh, tournaments. So it's, uh, I want to say it's racketwars.com. If you want to get away for a wonderful tennis weekend and it's not expensive at all, they make it very affordable. You pay your own airfare, but you pay them one price for everything else. And if you cool. get some cheap airfares, it's a great weekend with a you know a bunch of girlfriends or your significant other. 
Very cool. I've not heard of that. So that would be something interesting for our listeners to enjoy too. Awesome. Thank you. Love it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Do you have any other stories or any last things that you want to talk about? Uh, so my uh, my famous story at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Is uh, we went to see a match uh, that Thomas Burdick played. In, and in those days, this is about four or five years ago, he was ranked fifth in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much today, but no, he's officially right. retired now. <laughs> yeah. But at the, he won the match. Uh, don't remember who it was, but it was in stadium two at the U S open. Okay. And so it's a smaller, more intimate stadium. So he signs the balls and as they do at the end of the match and they hit him into the audience. So he was standing right there on the baseline and I, my seats happened to be right by the baseline, about 10 rows up. Okay. And he hit a line drive right at us. I mean, if I didn't catch that, it, it could have taken somebody's eye out, but I caught it. And it nice. reminds me of Robin Williams in the movie Awakenings where he raises his hand and he gets the ball. And so I have a cool Thomas Burdick, you know, autographed ball from the U.S. Open. And that's my famous story from the U.S. Open to uh, kind of close out our session together and I like it. Thank you for having me on. I hope um, hope your listeners have enjoyed it as much as I did. Of course. Thanks for joining us. How can they keep up with you? I know you did give your Instagram earlier, but feel free to plug it again. Yeah. So uh, anybody who wants to reach out to me for topics like <laughs> my three legs to my stool is comedy, food, and tennis. So if you want to talk about any of those passionate topics, you can reach me on Instagram at nyfred the number four and the letter U, New York Fred for you. And if any of you are Eliza fans, you're probably already connected to me as you are, Michelle. (laughs) Exactly. And I want to thank you for reaching out to me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I was excited. I always sign off everything by saying, keep swinging. Keep swinging. I always say happy hitting. So those go well together. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I want to know what you want to hear or who you want to hear from on next week's episode. So please leave us a note when you are reviewing Talk Tennis wherever you download your podcast. And if you want to continue any of the conversations that we had today, feel free to email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or leave a voicemail at 805-270-3336. I love connecting with all my fellow tennis fans and would love to hear from you. Be sure to tell your friends about Talk Tennis and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you download your podcast. And for all of your tennis needs, make sure you visit us at Tennis Warehouse, Tennis Warehouse Europe, or Tennis Only. Until next time, happy hitting. I can't see you though, but yeah, I know how do I do? I don't even know how to do that, but that's not important. I'll send you a picture. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Ready? Yes, ma'am. Let's do this. Okay.